Hey, everybody. Those of you watching online as well, uh, welcome. And uh, so uh, you might notice on the outlines this week, there are a lot of resources listed there. Uh, today's sermon is a continuation of last week's sermon. Doesn't mean you can't get it if you weren't here last week, but there is a lot of content last week. Some of it, which is, you know, this week depends on. So there might be a few points where you might not realize why that nuance, why that emphasis. So just, just to let you know, you might want to go back and watch it if today is interesting to you. And if today interests you also, you might want to check out some of those resources if you haven't from last week, but some new ones this week. So as a result of last week's sermon, which was on Sabbath, and we're looking at Sabbath because Jesus is talking about it in the passage that we're um, working our way through Matthew, and so uh, that's why we're doing that. But one of our members, Roger Punt, he did some digging, and Roger found an article about North Dakota blue laws. So blue laws are the laws that restricted what kind of work could be done, what kind of commerce could be done on Sundays, uh, specifically in, in the United States. Various states had different kind of blue laws. So in 1928, the North Dakota Supreme Court took up a case. Uh, it was the state of North Dakota against a guy named uh, Isaac Diamond. And Mr. Diamond had committed the horrible crime of selling groceries on the Sabbath. And so the law had been in the book since the 1800s, and he contested. He said it's anti-constitutional to do this. But the Supreme Court of North, North Dakota ruled against him uh, because uh, this is part of their argument, just part of it. He said, they said, the state, in its exercise of police power, has the right to prescribe a day of rest for the public in the interest of public health, morals, and recreation. Okay, that's 1928. So... As we saw last week, defining in detail what work is and what's the work that you're not allowed to do is nearly impossible. It was true in Bible times. I mean, the Pharisees went around, and other groups in that day, went around in circles trying to say what is work and what isn't work because you can't just say don't work without some footnotes, without some asterisks on there. You just can't. So one of the things that in North Dakota law was permitted to be sold on Sundays, or four of the things that were permitted to be sold, this was in the list. Fish, meat, fruit, medicines, okay? Those could be, oh, two other things, I forgot. Candy and tobacco were considered <laughs> necessities. So by 1920, they approved a measure to allow baseball on Sundays, but only between the hours of one and six, and you had to be more than 500 feet away from a church. That was in the law, okay? State law. Over the years, what constituted necessities grew. And many of the necessities were absolutely legitimate. They were tied to living in modern times. For example, as more and more people in North Dakota depended on utilities in order to heat their homes. Imagine, North Dakota, you need to heat your home, and you're dependent on utilities. <laughs> you need people working <laughs> to keep the utilities running. So eventually, the last of the state-mandated blue laws to uh, be uh, abolished in North Dakota was alcohol sales. 
1993. Now, some of you are from North Dakota, and you might say, well, I'm, I went way beyond that. that was, those were local laws. State-mandated laws were abolished in 1993. So Roger, who sent me uh, this article, and his wife, Judy, they grew up in the Reformed Church uh, in America. Roger was a pastor in the Reformed Church in America, um, which was a union of Dutch Reformed and German Reformed immigrants. And Judy, though, was from North Dakota, and Roger was from Iowa, and you had differences on all kinds of things. So Judy told me last week that there was this one time earlier in their marriage, and if I understand correctly, they had some people coming over from church that day, and she was planning on grilling the meat, that they would grill the meat for the dinner. And Roger's like, oh no, you can't grill on Sunday around here. Okay, it's different than what you grow up with. It was like, you're not in North Dakota anymore, Toto. Um, so we can, we can laugh, we can mock the North Dakota blue laws, we can mock the Pharisees laws, all of that, but Sabbath rules actually also protected people. Yeah, they were hard to do consistently, sometimes they get really silly, but they were, they did literally protect people. And the Ten Commandments, it mandated, one of the Ten Commandments mandates Sabbath rest, which was Saturday evening to evening, all right, beginning sundown to sundown. And in that law itself, as we saw last week, it mandated that this applied not just to Israelites, it applied to their slaves, it applied to foreigners among them, it applied to the animals that they were all supposed to have some rest. It provided protection. North Dakota laws and other state laws also, in addition to all the other stuff, provided protection for workers. So, when the culture around us stops observing Sabbath, and some of you young enough that maybe that's all you've ever known, and some of us are old enough to know that there was a time and we experienced it where there were kind of some protections in place, but when the culture stops observing Sabbath, it is almost impossible to keep it on your own. In fact, to keep it on your own really strictly you almost have to take a pretty significant step out of the flow of culture. You almost have to, like, almost like an Amish person or something like that, or an ultra-Orthodox Jewish person. Um, so it is very difficult, but there is plenty of reason to do something, to bring back, if you've lost it, Sabbath in your life. And the reason is because the difficulty of keeping Sabbath has led, I think, can be shown to contribute to physical as well as some mental health issues. It's contributed to that. It's also contributed, probably in a bigger way than most of us would imagine, I think, to our difficulty of passing on our faith to the next generation. And it has, in something I'd not really thought of until working on this, it has contributed, um, let's, maybe contribute is not the word, but it has impacted our mission as a church, to each other as believers, but also to our world that we're called to serve and we're called to take the gospel to them. And I know that's a pretty extreme statement. You're gonna have to judge for yourself by the time we're done today, whether that's accurate or not, if you're not sure. And I, I really think that when it comes to the neglect of Sabbath, the stakes are much higher than we could ever imagine. 
And again, remember the importance of this. It is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the only one that we kind of, Christians throughout the ages have kind of like gone, well, we don't really have to keep that. The only of the Ten Commandments that we have done that with. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, If you want to grab one of the Bibles from the seat rack in front of you, it's on page 977. And um, as you're turning, I want to remind you, as we do every week, that understanding the Bible and your part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery. God reveals himself. There is mystery involved. There are a lot of head-scratching things in the Bible. There are some things that are hard to understand. There are some things that we misunderstand. But God wants us to know what we're about, what he's about, what life is about. And we can, we can tap into that. So this is part of our series on Matthew 11 through 12, who is, uh, which is also part of a larger series as we work our way through the whole Gospel of Matthew. So please pray the prayer of illumination with me on the screens. Father, thank you that millions of people will learn from the Bible this weekend. Please speak powerfully through your spirit to convict, to comfort, and to conform our minds to yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna play the same video from last week for the same verses, one through 14, follow along please, as one of our five ochres reads our passage to us. Matthew 12, one through 14, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. All right, so in this two-part series, we're asking three questions. And the first of the questions we got partway through last week, which is, what is Sabbath rest about? And we talked about it ceasing from work, but the difficulty of defining work. Uh, Rest, but that's more than a nap. It's really having to do with the kind of rest that the earth is supposed to have, was supposed to have, will have again when Jesus returns, and it's communion with God and each other, and then restorative justice, which is right built in to so many of the laws of Israel, including the Ten Commandments. 
So the next thing the Sabbath is about is about, it's about Jesus. And here's where things get, uh, start getting really interesting because Jesus, what Jesus says in this passage is filled with many different layers of meaning. On the one hand, you see Jesus doing what rabbis did, which is they're discussing a topic, they're trying to figure out how do we live this, this commandment, for example. And so they would bring passages to bear and then they would have debates. But this, well, what about this? Well, yeah, but what about this? And that's the kind of thing. And Jesus is doing that. He's engaging in that kind of debate. Um, But he takes it to another level. And I think The Chosen, we're going to watch just a little portion of the longer one that we watched last week. The, the, the chosen interprets this really well. So they have, they have these rabbis kind of engaging in a conversation with him, uh, which is not in our text uh, when they're by the green, grain fields, but I think it is exactly what is going on. Most commentators would say this is exactly what's going on. So we're gonna watch this short clip. First you and now your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Have you not read what David did when he was in need? was hungry. He entered the house of God in the time of Ahimelech, the priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests. You would compare yourself to David. It was an emergency. Or have you not read in the law how on Shabbat the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but are guiltless? That's for Levites. Are you a Levite of priestly lineage? Listen carefully. Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The son of man. Let's go. title, Son of Man, seems to upset a lot of people. Why? Tell you later. Okay, so Matthew, of course, um, asks, that's Matthew who asks the question about Son of Man, and he asks one of the other disciples, why do people get so upset? And he says, I'm going to tell you later. I want to tell you what he would have told them later. All right. So he would have taken him either, well, they didn't carry around Bible, so it would either have to be from memory or collective memory. Does anybody remember exactly how it goes? Or let's go to the synagogue and let's read this. But it would be from what in our Bibles is marked as Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And here's what this all goes back to. In my vision at night, Daniel's vision, I I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which in this context, it's talking about God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one, is one that will never be destroyed. Now, in saying that this heavenly figure, so what he's trying to say is, if you read a lot of the visions in the Old Testament, New Testament, 
also, like in the book of Revelation, in these visions, there's fantastical creatures, right? There's these angelic beings, and they're always like scary and wild looking. But in this case, he sees someone, and all he's saying is, just look like a man. You just look like a man. And yet, all of this happens to him. So the Jewish people, and there's writings about this that you can go and read, you can find them online and stuff, is there was writings between the Testaments where there was all kinds of discussions about this figure that comes. And so things change from just saying, there's gonna be some day when there is going to be a man or someone that looks like a man to there is, it became a title. There is someone that we're waiting for, this son of man, all right? So Jesus is just building on that. That's, he's talking about the son of man because that's how they talked about him. They came to equate him with the Messiah. Now, Messiah means anointed one, which means king, all right? This is no ordinary king, right? Uh, he's got a, a dominion that's gonna last forever, which God had promised David, you're gonna have a son that's dominion is gonna last forever. So that would sound like just a man, but this isn't just a man. This is, this is a man that's going to be worshiped in a religion that says there is only one God and you don't worship anybody else. But there's gonna be a man or one that looks like a man that's going to be presented before God and he is going to be worshiped. So it, it just blows the mind of the people who read this and are like, how do we understand? There's a lot of discussion about it. That's what the kind of thing that that disciple would have told him. So in saying this in the way that Jesus said it, um, and built into the context. You, you saw it in the exchange, you know, calls on David. Who do you think you are? You think you're equal to David. Uh, the, the, the comment about the priest, well, you're not even a priest. You know, why are you comparing yourself to priests? When you read the Bible, understanding the connections, here's what Jesus is basically saying. Please forgive me for putting words in his mouth, but this is what he's basically saying. The true and greater king is here. The true and better priesthood is here. The true and better temple is here. The story of God, all these individuals, people like David, all the roles, king and priest, all the institutions like the temple were pointing to me all along. There's other places where he says this, but that's basically what he's saying. This dovetails with those other places where he says the whole Old Testament was about me. Even the Sabbath pointed to me. Sabbath rest is found in me. Now, do you remember what comes right before this passage? I, I, I didn't preach it. Philip Veerling did. Uh, the very end of chapter 11. Remember, there's no chapter markings. There's no verse markings when Matthew wrote. Right before it, flowing right into this, is where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, and I, and you will find rest for your souls. <laughs> And then you have this thing where he's, he's basically saying, I am the better David. I am the better king. I am the, the true king that everything is like, in temple and all of that. Basically saying, the son of man is Lord, me is Lord of the Sabbath. I love that guy's response. He's like, what are you claiming? And uh, it's just an amazing, uh, amazing uh, talk between those two. The Sabbath is about Jesus. All right, so Sabbath is about ceasing from work, it's about rest, it's about restorative justice, it's about Jesus. One more, one more thing. Sabbath is about the kingdom of heaven. This is not so obvious 
but is amazing the way he makes this point here. Okay, so if you were to, he makes the point in verse six, by the way. If you were, to, well, let's, let's look at it real, real quickly here. I'll put it up here. I tell you that something, not someone, something, it's neuter, it's not masculine, greater than the temple is here. Now, uh, grammar does not determine meaning in any language. Grammar is just a trying to figure out what is going on here in conversation. You know, so when people say, well, the grammar says this, grammar says nothing. Grammar is a invent, human invented thing that tries to understand what's going on. Okay, so he could say something, neuter, and mean himself. But scholars look at this kind of stuff and they say, where are the places where he does this kind of thing? And scholars go, this is deliberate. He's not just talking about himself when he says this, something greater. And again, you, you gotta spend time in Matthew to understand what is it that he could possibly be talking about and there's nothing else it could be except his main subject, the kingdom of heaven. So earlier in Matthew, uh, we have in Matthew chapter four and verse 17, Matthew summarizes all of Jesus' preaching this way and it happens time and again. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's about the kingdom of heaven. That's his no number one subject that he talked about. So you can go back to my June 3rd, 4th sermon from last year. It's in the resources if you wanted to look at it and see the buildup to the point that I'm about to make right now, okay? But when Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven, he means God's reign and realm. God's reign and God's realm. It's the heavenly realm has come near and it's broken into the earthly realm. Okay, that's what it means. This, it doesn't mean heaven is not a replacement for the word God. I talked about that back there because it is never used in Jewish literature as a replacement for the word God. And Matthew is the only one that uses the term in Jesus' lips, kingdom of heaven. It means the same thing as the kingdom of God, but it takes another dimension. It's talking about a realm, God's realm, breaking into earth. Basically, the way it was supposed to be, the, the reason that the earth was created. All right, so Sabbath is about the kingdom of heaven. That means that whatever it means to keep the Sabbath, to keep it well as followers of Jesus, it will include the kinds of things, actions, attitudes, relationships, priorities, practices, all that, that would have characterized life in Genesis 1 and 2 had that continued when God created the earth and rests dwells, settles in on the earth. That's the reason for the creation, God living with us. We messed it up, okay? It is Sabbath, however we were, any way that we're to keep Sabbath well, it should look like the actions and act priorities characterize life in the new creation when Christ returns and things are made right again. That dovetails with what we talked about last week, restorative justice, which is shalom of God, life as it's supposed to be. Is that supposed to be this way? We say that all the time, it shouldn't be this way. Why? How could that happen? It's not supposed to be that way. It's life as it's supposed to be. We're, we're to live that out to the best way possible that we can. Sabbath, this isn't in your outline, but this is a really important, um, really important idea. And uh, just want, want to, want to make that point. Sabbath, a day or time of ceasing from work, 
should focus on living out the values of the kingdom of heaven. We should do that every day, right? We should do that every day. But we should do that in a special way while resting, serving, communing with God and others. All right, it should be what characterizes the ceasing from work, whatever that is. It should be, it should be about living out the values of the kingdom of heaven. Again, if you want to take a deeper dive, the resources, there's some really good stuff there about shalom, about the kingdom, and all that sort of thing. A little five-minute uh, cartoon explainer videos that are just fantastic if you've never seen them. So the Sabbath is about ceasing from work, rest, restorative justice, Jesus, and the kingdom of heaven. The second question is, how can keeping the Sabbath go wrong? How can keeping the Sabbath go wrong? Just got a couple here. I... Um, it goes wrong, first of all, when we insist that the Sabbath command is no different from the other <clears throat> Ten Commandments. So I made a big point. It's the only commandment that we kind of say, well, we don't have to keep this one. But the reality is it is different. It is different. It's not a reason to dismiss it completely, but it is different. Now, maybe it's not completely different. Maybe we should be worshiping on, you know, there are Christian groups uh, that worship on Saturday and insist that that is the right way to do it. And those of you who are doing it on Sunday, you're off. It's not like you're going to be condemned by God, but you're not really doing the right thing and you're missing out on keeping that commandment. But if you insist on that, you're not looking at the broader picture, which are some really difficult things. Because this is the only command, the commandment about the Sabbath. It's the only one that Jesus basically says, I'm its fulfillment. All right, kind of like he fulfills the sacrifices. That's why we don't sacrifice anymore. He fulfills the food laws. That's why we don't have the food laws anymore of Judaism. He seems to say that the Sabbath is fulfilled in me. The Apostle Paul, when there were people who were kind of forcing certain special days, you've got to live by the Jewish calendar, that kind of thing. Hey, 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 he said, in Christ, every day is like any other day. You go, well, what about the Sabbath? Please expand. He didn't, <laughs> all right? But you have to live with that. You've got to d deal with that reality. So it is a debatable type of thing about whether, you know, what day, whether we have to keep 24 hours, all of that. I would put it on the level as a secondary issue, um, kind of like, uh, you know, we, we have fellowship with believers all around the world in a sense of we see ourselves, we're all part of the same family of believers. Even though this particular family baptizes infants and we don't. All right, that kind of a thing. Is it important? Yes. It's important to make a decision. <laughs> As a parent, you have to make a decision, right? As a church, you have to make a decision. Uh, but, but can we agree to disagree and love each other? We should love each other even if we disagree, but no, no matter what. But can we agree to disagree and say we are part of the same larger thing. Yes, absolutely. It's a, but it's a secondary issue. Same thing with Reformed versus Arminian views of salvation. Is it important? Yes, it's important. Is it essential to get it right? No, it's not essential to get it right. So I agree with uh, pastor and author John Mark Comer. Um, the Practicing the Way resource that's down there is his kind of uh, thing that he's doing with some other people. He says, whether or not it's a commandment that we have to keep as Christians, it is an invitation that would be foolish to
to decline. It's an invitation that would be foolish to decline. Seems to me that to neglect the Sabbath would be similar to neglecting prayer or Bible reflection in your life in the sense that I've thought of some, at least one example of, are there commands to pray in the Bible? You could say Philippians 4 is kind of a command. It's, you know, it's in the imperative, that's grammar, but it's more of an invitation. But okay, all right, you can say that. I, I couldn't think of any commands to reflect on Scripture, to read the Scripture and reflect on Scripture. It's just assumed. How else are you gonna have a relationship with God? Right? It's about a relationship. Hearing from God, talking to God, it's, it's like it would be foolish to say, well, show me. It's not in the Ten Commandments that I have to pray. Uh, it's, not, it's assumed, but it's not in the like, Sermon on the Mount that I have to pray. It's assumed I'm going to pray, but it doesn't tell me I have to. So, I mean, you could live life like that, I suppose. But you go, like, how do you have a relationship with God? You know, because that's what it's about. We've been reconciled to God. It's about a relationship with God. How do you have that if you're not praying, if you're not you know, reading his word? How can you have that? So, Somewhat similar, uh, prove me wrong later, that's fine. So another way it can go wrong for us, the second one, is focus on certain aspect of the Sabbath keeping while neglecting others. You see the Pharisees doing that, they focused on what exactly is work? And we will police this, and if you cross the line that we have drawn, then you are in trouble with us. But we're not gonna talk about justice, we're not going to be talk about all the other aspects. We're just going to be so focused on not, not working. And so here's a couple of ways that we could do the same kind of thing today. I mean, you can be, we have a, lot, a lot of us are like Pharisees now. Okay, so we, could, we can do that. But here's another way that we can do it. Our modern temptation might be to apply the Sabbath individualistically, meaning I'm going to rest and I'm going to do it with a few close friends, family members, that kind of a thing, only. Uh, another way that we can go wrong is, because by the way, if you're doing this, you're missing whole aspects of what Sabbath was about, always has been about in the Bible. Or you can idolize rest. You can say, the most important thing is rest. I'm gonna get that rest. I'm gonna meditate all day. I'm gonna get off by myself, you know, that kind of a thing. And by focusing on that in a self-centered way, you've kind of missed the picture of what Sabbath rest is about. All right, so in the end, when you do this kind of thing, you've created a whole new monstrosity that is um, sad, just really, really sad, and it's easy to do. Okay, the last question is, how can we keep the Sabbath well? And the simple answer might be, don't do the bad stuff. <laughs> All right, but let's, let's put a little bit more because there's opportunity here. There's a lot of opportunity here. Okay, so to keep the Sabbath well, you might want to. Now I have this phrase, can I have the next slide? Um, to keep the Sabbath well, you might want to, because I don't want to create rules <laughs> around Sabbath. I don't want to make that mistake, okay? So here's some things to think about, all right? So to keep Sabbath well, you might want to take large blocks of Sabbath rest throughout the week if you can't dedicate a 24-hour period. Just take the 24-hour period if you can. But if you can't, dedicate some large blocks to it. It's really hard to take the 24 hours, I already said that, in our society. Um, there isn't the supports, the social support for it. Not even in churches, there's not the social support for it. But it takes significant blocks of time to interrupt the typical 24-7 cycle of work punctuated 
by mindless entertainment. I love mindless entertainment. I'm not knocking it, all right. I'm just saying that kind of is our life a lot of times. Work and then veg. Work, veg, that kind of a thing. And there needs to be large blocks of time in order to break that, that cycle. Keep the Sabbath well. You might also want to expect pain and discomfort for trying. So someone in our small group said, yeah, you know, this is like fasting. They always say with fasting, there's going to be pain and discomfort. But you use that in order to put your mind towards God. Okay, you're going through the discomfort. That's a reminder. Why am I doing this? And what should I be praying about? So same thing with Sabbath. And any other spiritual discipline, at first, it's hard. It's difficult. If, for example, just just one example, um, not to pick on one thing because there's all kinds of different examples, but here's one. Couples, friends, families, when they spend most of their time scrolling through social media when they're together, that's their, their way of being together. And they do that for, you know, most of the time when they're together. It is very difficult when you say, hey, for Sabbath, we're going to shut that down. <laughs> I mean, there, there could be a full-scale rebellion, <laughs> you know, in the household. Uh, there it is, and, and then, you know, one person, let's say, is the, you know, a couple people are, and, and then they go, well, what about this? You know, and it can really turn into a fight. Uh, but it's, it's pain that's caused by, there's brain science behind this. I even included a, 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 a fun short video that you can go and watch and understand, you know, how the dopamine stuff and all of that adrenaline works. And, and it's, it's, you can see, oh, that's why it's so literally painful and uncomfortable to just stop and enjoy and not be entertained. Because social media is 100% entertainment these days. That's, that's what it's built for. It might be something else for you, but that's what it's built for. It's about entertainment, all right? So it's like putting on the TV, you know, something like that. You might want to include rest. <laughs> um, take a nap if you can. It might be a day where you can finally do a more extended workout uh, because the rest of the week everything is hurried. That's the day when you can take that long run or you can go deeper, you know, in your bicycling or something like that because it's a day of rest. It's not all you're going to do, but include that rest. You might want to be very creative. Be creative. Establish new rituals as family or with your friends. Shut down notifications and scrolling. It's one of the things you can do for uh, all or part of the day. Do outdoors activities that require a larger block of time. Just be creative, cook together. There's so many things that you can do to take care of the pain and to adjust to, you know, to, to Sabbathing together. Um, if you're going to do Sabbath well, you might want to do mercy. So think compassion, justice, missional work. Think of the blessed practices that we talk about with people who don't know God personally, how we can bless those people in our lives. And then the, the big one, the one that I'm going to just really emphasize a lot more is, is you might want to keep Sabbath with others. I, I don't know that you can keep Sabbath without including others. And I don't just mean others. I mean the body of Christ. Connect with the body of Christ. When Jesus says something great in the temple is here, Jesus 
um, is, is of course talking not just, uh, he is talking about himself, but he's talking about what he brings, the kingdom. The heavenly realm on display here on earth. Where do you see it? When God's people are living by his values. When God's people are living by his values, where you get a little picture, a glimpse, because we don't do it very well. But you get a glimpse of the new creation, of what God wants for us, of his love for us. Um, but there's more. As a result of the kingdom being near, invading the earth, you know as you read the rest of the New Testament, this amazing thing happens. Jesus comes, he dies for our sins, he rises from the dead, he ascends back to heaven, and he sends the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, to come into our lives as his followers. And that means, in, Jesus, in, in the New Testament uh, language, that means we become temples of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just you and you and you and you and you and me we're temples of the Holy Spirit. It is also that when we gather and as a people, just this people right here, and the people that are meeting down the street that way and down the street that way and down the street that way are temples together of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we just take that for granted. This is, this is a glimpse again. It's, it's we're experiencing personally what God wanted for all of humanity when he created earth. He was creating a temple for himself on this earth. That's what the creation story is about. It's about some other things, but that, that's like right up there. All right, so it's, it's we are temples. That's why this language is so important. Something greater than the temple is here because you could have one temple in Jerusalem or you could have temples everywhere. Um, you can try all kinds of creative things to do when you're, on, when you're experiencing Sabbath. But if it doesn't include gathering with the body of Christ, it's usually missing something important. So gathering, this is another one of the statements that I, I, I would love to just spend a long, long time talking about. But gathering with a diversity of people in corporate worship and fellowship and service is the mainstay of Sabbath keeping in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's like one of those kinds of things, it'd be like not gathering for Sabbath would be like being a Christian without praying. It just doesn't make any sense. All right, so in God's plan, the church is designed to be the center from which we live out our values of the kingdom and heaven meets earth. That is a high standard for us to live by. All right, a super high standard. But I want to emphasize just, and we could talk about all of this, but I just want to emphasize the diversity of people because it's not just people you particularly like to be with, all right, when we gather together. That's the individualistic way is I'm going to celebrate Sabbath by gathering around me people I just love to be with, you know, who like the things that I like, easy conversation because we all love the same team or we all love the same music or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. By diversity, I mean people who are literally dying. People who are dying. Um, I mean, like, close. We're all dying. But death is close. People with mental 
health challenges, people with cognitive challenges, people who come from all different kinds of backgrounds, ethnicities, race, people of diverse financial means, people of different age groups. Somebody mentioned in the green room back there last night, wow, we got a lot of, today we got three out of the eight people, when you count also our uh, prayers of the people, three out of the eight people up here uh, during the worship time are high schoolers. And you just, it's hard to arrange for that in your own life. It is, but it's what the church does. And the, the reality is, I'm sure you can think of a few exceptions that kind of capture bits and pieces of it, but there is nothing else but the church that does that. You know, I mean, the only thing that maybe comes close would be a mosque or a synagogue, okay? It's, it's gathering together with your people, God's people, that is so different from the individualistic, I create my own circle. You know, yes, we all create our own circles. Nothing wrong with that. To have your close friends, people you're gonna hang out with and everything like that. You know, when you got a Friday night off or whatever. But here's, here's the thing. If you don't include this and experience this, you're just missing whole aspects of Saturday. It's just a simple thing. Every week, what do I say when we finish? We pray the benediction, and then I say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you are blessed, and you are sent. And what do I say next? (laughs) And don't forget to welcome some of the people around you before you go. That is part of what I'm talking about. That's kingdom work. You understand? That's kingdom work, because there are people sitting around you who, if no one talks to them, the sense of loneliness and pain that that causes is traumatic. It really is. And until you experience it, you don't know how bad that feels. That's part of what it is. That's why it is so important. <laughs> Every once in a while, I circle back around to it. It is so important. It's part of what it means to Sabbath together and part of what it means to live out the kingdom. Um, again, this only works if you don't, you're not just, you know, for seasons of time, it's okay, you know. You, you can't take this. You can't take whatever. I understand that. Or you come and you get out of here as quickly as possible. There might be seasons in your life where that's what you have to have. But if that is your way of worshiping together, you're not Sabbathing together. You're not participating in the body of Christ. There has to be connection. There has to be service to each other, even informal service like, hey, not met you, or how are you doing, or can I pray for you? Those kinds of things. That's what makes a church a church. Um, Admittedly, sometimes churches are the problem, okay? And the reality is I don't even know what to say if like you live in a small town and the only church there that actually preaches the gospel is deeply sick and toxic, what do you do? And like, it's an hour to go someplace else. I I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? Um, If a church won't reform when it has obvious, deep, deep illness, sickness, toxins, you should have to leave. And sometimes that puts you off in a desert somewhere in your faith. Um, So uh, 
it's, it's a, it's, it, but sometimes we do this to ourselves, you know. They, the biggest study that has ever been done on why people have left church, 7,000 people, that's a big study. 7,000 people were asked well, why that have left, no longer attend church, who used to attend church regularly, why? The number, the, the vast majority, you would think it was because, well, the, the church has got so much of a mess and they're doing this and I heard this happen and the priest or the pastor did this and you know, all that, kind of, but the vast majority, I just, it just kind of dropped out of the habit and then it felt awkward going back and then I just wasn't thinking about it anymore. That's it. That's, that's how it mostly happens. Uh, number one culprit, I moved, thought about finding a new church, tried for a little while, and then life got busy. Big one, sports. Yeah, every weekend we had these things, and we went, and we're a big sports family, and I get that, I really, I really do. But when like you make a decision and you don't, what happens is when you can, I, my job, my job took me away. I work, weekends are my, my time where I work. What are you gonna do about that? All I'm saying is when the things get in the way, you've gotta do a workaround. It may not be the best thing, it's for a season of life, it should only be for a season of life, but you do some kind of workaround. That's where you have to start kind of creating your own things, finding something here and there, you know, that kind of thing, piecing it together. But we should not be, as a practice, piecing things together because it is always, it always falls way, way short of what God intends. And if you were, I, I, I didn't say this last night, I wish I had, if for a long time you were like totally neglecting Sabbathing with other people, and you're back now, you know, preaching, preaching to the choir, you're here, right? Um, don't, it, life is filled with those kind. It, yeah, you can have a regret, but don't, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, God is a gracious God. He's happy you're here today. <laughs> All right, so don't, don't beat yourself up over that because he's not gonna beat, your, beat you up over that. All right, this is why I was trying to make the point earlier. What are the stakes? It's the stakes of mental health, it's stakes of having a well, rounded vision of what God wants for you. The stakes are passing on your faith to the next generation. If, if you don't have the support of a church, the studies that show at least five adults in your teenager's life who are not you, that are influencing the faith, your faith, it's really hard, really, really hard to pass on your faith. The stakes are much higher than most of us could imagine. But I want to end on an ominous note. I want to end on a, uh, on a hopeful and visional type of note because uh, Lois shared this with me from a book that I think they read in their mentoring group by Ruth Haley Barton. And this, this casts a vision for the choir, all right? I have experienced, because she had been talking before this, she said, sometimes Sabbath is just to totally ruined by life, you know, illness, work, you know, whatever. But then she has this section where she says, I have experienced the utter joy and relief when Sabbath does happen, when the house has been cleaned, special food has been bought, the computer has been turned off, the last obligation has been completed or set aside, the candles or the fireplace has been lit, and it is time to stop whether everything has been finished or not. I know what it's like to rest for hours 
until I have energy to delight in something. <laughs> good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long way to conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight turn into gratitude and gratitude into worship. I know what it's like to recover myself so completely that I am able by God's grace to enter into my work on Monday with a renewed sense of God's calling and God's presence. How could you not love a day that does all that? How could you not sell everything to have this pearl of great price? <laughs>